Welcome to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Jeremy. My name is Adam. And we are here to talk about Dark Phoenix. Finally, somebody had the bravery, the wherewithal to make a Dark Phoenix movie. The second time. What? No, this is the first one. This is the only one. Well, I guess according to the timeline, there's going to be heavy spoilers in this re- uh, review, so we, we might spoil something unintentionally right away. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. I'm, put, I'm putting in a spoiler review right now. For those of you uh, that don't know, there was already a Dark Phoenix movie. It was called X-Men 3, so that might have been a spoiler right there. Oh, and Dark Phoenix is in this movie, also another spoiler. <laughs> well, if you couldn't figure that out from the name Dark Phoenix... You got problems. Well, maybe they're just like, uh, you know, I'm going to give it a try. Come in open-minded. We don't, <laughs> may not necessarily. Maybe they're just using uh, name recognition to get people into the to the movie so that they can see an adventure of, um, I don't know, X-Men versus Dracula. If this is your first uh, podcast with us, you should probably go listen to a different one. <laughs> listen to any one of our other movie-related reviews so that you can get a sense of what it is we do because... I feel like this one might be the worst one we do. It could be. <laughs> I'm I'm going to undersell this one. Normally I have uh, notes and uh, ideas and thoughts. And uh, much like this movie, I just, you know, kind of gave up midway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we get into um, all of that... Um, let's Let's go back in time. Uh, let's go back in time to... X-Men Apocalypse. I can't, you know, somebody actually asked me today what I thought, because they, they wanted to know what I thought of Dark Phoenix, and I said I hadn't seen it, because I hadn't seen it before today. And uh, I, uh, they said, well, what did you think of X-Men Apocalypse? And I said, I honestly don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that was part of my point, though, because I think in three months when somebody asks you, like, what did you think of Dark Phoenix? You'd be like, uh, hmm, I didn't hate it. And I think that's that's kind of where I landed on uh, X-Men Apocalypse is that I I didn't hate it, but it certainly didn't enrich my life by seeing it. (laughs) I'm glad this whole uh, X-Men thing is over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Until the next, until it gets rebooted, and we'll see what happens differently. You mean you're glad that the Fox X Men is over? Uh yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was thinking about this a little bit, and and I was kidding about the whole apocalypse thing because I, I was pretty sure that that was the answer you were going to give. Um, <laughs> again, I didn't hate it. I don't really remember it. Apocalypse was in there. Storm, I think, was like, "Here's Storm. Oh, she's bad." Uh, and I think we we kind of got ham-fistedly handed uh, Jean Grey and Scott, as in, like, you kind of know what's going on with these characters, so we're not going to do any character building. Uh, they like each, they're they're flirting with each other. And right. It's sort of it's sort of dependent on you having seen the first three movies, which is never a good way to go. Yeah, but even like the first, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. They definitely established like there's a relationship between Scott and Jean. In the first three, but you never really find out like why, which is the biggest problem I have, I think with, and I think we'll get into uh, this as we go, but the biggest problem I have with a lot of these X-Men movies is there's like almost no character development except for, um, I don't know, five characters. And I would say with the, uh, with these new movies, the the last four, 
the I guess first class series. There's even less. It's it's really only three characters if you include if you include Jennifer Lawrence, which I don't. I think I do. So uh, if we go back to and. Yeah, so, so the characters that I guess I'm referring to that get character development throughout the entire series. And now, when I have this conversation, I'm taking Deadpool off the table. Like, let's just, those those are great movies, and they're tangentially tied to this universe, but let's just set them aside. They don't okay. count. <laughs> so we're talking about everything else. We're talking about, I guess, the Wolverine movies and the X-Men movies. Um, the characters I'm referring to that have any sort of character development would be um, Wolverine, of course, <clears throat> Professor Javier, Magneto, uh, Mystique. I think we get a lot of back and forth character development on Mystique. Uh, I had a fifth. Uh, uh, well, it could be Beast if yeah. you're talking about the first class characters. Yeah, yeah, Beast. He gets a teensy bit of character development uh, when he's portrayed by um, uh, Cheers guy. Oh, <laughs> uh, Frazier? Uh, yeah, yeah. Whatever his real name is. And I think the only reason I'm giving him any sort of like uh, credit as character development, I thought Frazier made a really good beast. And so that's why I'm giving him uh, a character development. It makes no sense. <laughs> Nicholas Holt gave him a much, much uh, deeper character uh, arc throughout the first. Frazier was one of those like spot on the nose casting. It's it's like it's almost like they just even he was even playing the character of Frazier. So I don't even need to know what his real name is um, <laughs> because essentially Frasier was Beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like uh, I, I think that's maybe been a problem throughout the entire series for most of the characters is that like that was like spot on like as a comic book character or as a comic book reader, you saw his portrayal of Beast and you're like, that's totally Beast. And Wolverine, I mean, uh, Hugh Jackman is Wolverine, I think. We totally saw that when he first popped onto the screen. Everybody else to me has been more or less off, except for uh, Patrick Stewart uh, and Ian McKellen. Well, even even like James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender are because of the the, the fact that they are good actors. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily matter. I I agree that both of them are great actors, uh, and I I would probably watch James McAvoy read a phone book, but. Uh, to me, when you see those characters, like if you were just to put their heads on a poster, I don't immediately say, oh, X-Men. Well, yeah, of course not. So anyways, all that aside, the other thing I, was, I guess I was going to say kind of as the series for for the series as a whole is that um, uh, we I think we have come to not just you and I, but but comic book or movie audiences in general have come to expect um I don't know, arc uh, and serial type standards as we've gotten with the Avengers and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, which is something that the X-Men universe has not done well. But I guess the other thing is they also came before all of that. See, I would disagree with that because I, I don't expect that from any other universe just because Marvel is the only one that has got it right. Yeah, but the X-Men come from the Marvel Universe. I think Fox and DC do better when they don't try to replicate what Marvel is doing. Yeah. I don't want to speak for DC, but it, to me it certainly doesn't look like Fox had, has been trying to do what Marvel's been doing. Well, no, because they have they have that legacy that came before. Um, I don't think Fox knows what they're doing at all. Yeah. Um, 
Well, based I, on the seven or whatnot films that have come out in the X Men line, they just seem to be all over the place. Right, and I also think that they're coming out of a time when I mean X Men. The first X Men movie was what, like two thousand, two thousand one. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so there was no template. There, I mean, like the fact that an X Men movie got made and actually did successful. Those are like two minor miracles onto themselves. And the fact that they tried to like tie kind of an X universe together is also kind of a, a small miracle because like I say, there, there's really no template for that coming from a big studio who just wants to like pump out movies and make money. Right. So I kind of forgive them. And then as you know, as the series went on, right, they kind of obviously used characters poorly and then brought them back, and then you lost continuity, and then some people are like, it doesn't matter. Because then you get to a movie like Days of Future Past, and you're like, well, I don't care about it. This is, this is actually a really good movie. They were consistently inconsistent. Yeah, I would give you that. So from a retroactive, a retro retrospective perspective, wow, that's a, that's a tongue twister there. <laughs> um, yeah, where to even begin, Adam? I don't know. What'd you think? Well, give me your give me your give me your basic review. Oh gosh, uh, it was like watching people doing things for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say that. Beast and Mystique do have a little bit of character development and a little bit of a character arc about like what they've been here for a while. They want to move on. They want to do something different. Professor Xavier's got kind of a, a character arc where he's, I guess, kind of full of himself, or you're, he's. Um, He's got a bat phone to the president, so <laughs> <laughs> which whatever. Uh, uh, but other than that, like you look at the other characters, like um, Cyclops, even Gene for the most part, and and Nightcrawler, and Quicksilver, you're just kind of like watching them do things, and you don't know why. Yeah, there is sort of a, a disconnect. The space thing to me, like I understand, like they, they got to get them into space so that they can do the whole Phoenix thing, but. I I just wish they would have come up with some other like I wish they wouldn't have tied it to um uh whatever shuttle launch that was. And I know that that shuttle they were trying to tie it into like oh this happened in the 80s or 90s or whatever. Yeah, like a actual thing. Yeah. Because it's like okay, so NASA needs rocket boosters and rocket fuel and you know basically the mechanism to launch a shuttle and Beast has just been working out in the garage just adding some uh some jets that can get their airplane into space yeah it was the dumb beginning yeah and and i rolled my eyes and like sitting through that i was just like this isn't gonna go well <laughs> so you know a little bit more time just write it like I get, I get it we have to implausibly get into space that's fine but i think just it was since it was tied in with a rescue mission with an actual shuttle uh it it just felt I don't know. It all felt out of place. I mean, as I was thinking about it, like even the Avengers aren't able to fly a Quinjet into space. They have to wait for like a spaceship to come to Earth that they can fix and then fly it back out into space. Right. Still implausible, but at least it's not tied to like Earth technology, like something off world had to had to help here. And so they go into space. We get a we get a nice little space sequence, I guess. I mean, I felt it was, I, it was visually interesting. I feel like they really phoned it in with the set of the Blackbird because all it was was like 
like a wide open cockpit with like eight chairs. And then for whatever reason, anytime somebody needed to get into the camera, their chair slid out. Well, Cyclops' chair slid out so that he could like get uh, go into the lower level where they had a super blaster gun that attached to his face in order to slow down the spaceship somehow. I didn't mind that. I guess what I'm talking – there was a scene I think with Nightcrawler. He needs to make a little quip and his chair like slides out and he makes his quip. (laughs) And I think it's supposed to be funny, but it's like – I don't understand. Like why would the chair do that? It makes no sense. And there's like nothing in, there's no tables, there's no like separation, uh, just just like a wide open, like here's our, we didn't really have time for this set, so you, you sit down and fly in space. They don't have space suits on because Blackbird is airtight. And, and apparently the space shuttle was also airtight because when they first go over there, they don't have spacesuits on either. Right, right, right. Uh, so, but it's because Nightcrawler and... Quicksilver have excuses for not needing spacesuits initially. Uh, what what was that? Uh, I guess because Nightcrawler can teleport out of air zones. <laughs> Nightcrawler's t- teleporting air in with him. <laughs> and Quicksilver moves so fast that he doesn't need air. Yo, <laughs> sure, I, I'll I'll buy I'll buy those. Uh, both of those very nice sequences. Uh, the the Quicksilver scene in space, like. You knew you were going to get a Quicksilver scene, so you might as well amp it up to 11 and have him doing it in space with debris. And then, yeah, a little te- a little teamwork there as he's, like, throwing people over to Nightcrawler and Nightcrawler's teleporting them back. So it's a, good, it's a fine sequence, I guess. What did you think of the special effects of this movie? Because, like, there were a couple of things that were visually nice but at the same time it happened the camera was moving too quickly or the effects were moving too quickly that i never was really able to focus on the thing that i was thinking was oh that's kind of nice wish i could see it i thought the space stuff was fine i think maybe i saw a scene of like gene's hair like kind of floating with you know anti-gravity or somebody's hair i don't remember whose her hair hair definitely moves throughout the movie i noticed that as well yeah, but I think in space there was some zero-G hair shots of somebody. I, I don't remember who. I, I don't know. <laughs> I thought the space shots were fine. Um, How long ago did you see the movie? It was uh, when it came out. It's like a week ago, a week and a half. Okay. Yeah, so I might be forgetting some things. I don't know. I just saw it today, so I'm fresh. I had a, uh, I had a great experience. Uh no one was in the theater. It was just just me. <laughs> Literally just you. Literally just me until the credits. Then the then two uh, ushers came in and sat in the back <laughs> and waited for me to leave. And I think they were happy to just like chill out on their jobs because there was nothing for them to do because I didn't bring any food in. Nice. So they were just chilling on their cell phones in the back. And I was alone in a theater for two plus hours or however long the movie is. It was great. I don't know that i i have sat in a theater all by myself ever i don't think so i've definitely been to a theater with like three other people but are they the people that you came with or or just like randoms randoms okay when land of the dead george romero's land of the dead came out i saw it three times Mm-hmm. Uh, and the third time I went by myself and I think there was like two other people in the audience. 
Hmm. So I've been to a movie by myself, but I've never actually been in a theater by myself. Well, it's nice, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you didn't have your pants off, you made a mistake. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, the, the I guess the first, like those are all just little nitpicks, uh, of course. But the, the major gripe that I have uh, is that I really wish that they would have, they really tried to shove Gene and Scott's relationship into us without any context. Like, oh, they just, we love each other. That's all you need to know. And we're kissing and, and we love each other. I really would have liked to have seen, like, take a page from the pages of the X-Men and have them all be on the shuttle. Have Gene come back to the Blackbird, but because of a delay or because they had to save that last guy that they forgot about, the the red amorphous blob is catching up to them. And have, as they're crashing into the Earth's atmosphere, have Gene just do the thing that she did in the comic books but on the blackbird where she's holding scott back and he's crying and screaming and then she's like in the front she's holding back the phoenix you know or the atmosphere or whatever she was doing and then then she gets all that sucked in at least with that scene you could get like an emotional like oh my god this is something serious is happening um they already did that in last stand though did they yeah or not last stand the the one before that the uh three the end of the end of part two uh, yeah, but that wasn't them crashing into the earth. That was just them, like, trying to leave the, the, the lake. Well, right. It was, it was, it was Jean Grey saving them for some reason. It's been a while since I've seen it. They didn't go into space, for sure. Right. Um, but yeah, for some reason she had to sacrifice herself, or it appeared as such. So at the end of the movie, you think Jean Grey is dead. I mean, nobody really thought that. But, Actually, probably a lot of people thought that because back then nobody knew who the X-Men were. I mean, except for the comic readers. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think they could have done the scene that I just described and not have made many parallels to um, the end of X2, beginning of X-Men 3. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I don't think it would have added anything, honestly. I mean, I feel like it could it, it, like if done correctly, we would have seen a little bit more emotional like outpouring between Gene and Scott or they could have had like a little like. I'm going to do this for just like a little little brief uh, conversation about why she's going to do it. And he, she's got to do it or else everyone's going to die. And the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many or whatever, you know, Star Trek stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, boom, all the stuff happens. They were kind of wearing some uh, cool next generation outfits. Yeah, yeah. They I, I thought that was kind of neat. Definitely all had outfits. Yeah, so I mean, whether or not they did that, you're right. They they kind of tried to shoehorn this in, and again, it's like what I said earlier, which is their relationship is totally based on them having a relationship in previous films. Film. Well, one, two, and three. Uh, okay. Yeah, Admittedly, in three, not so much because she wipes it out. Right. But right. I wouldn't even count Apocalypse as them having a relationship. Do they? Do they even like flirt in that movie? Yeah, well, they like looked at each other and like smiled at each other. I mean, I think when X Men Apocalypse was happening, I don't know that the Fox Disney deal was occurring. So I think they feel like Fox was trying to set up like a much larger and longer arc. But maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, I, I recall them having glances at one another. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, basically, yeah, you're, you're right. It, the, the, we, we didn't care about these characters. We had a, we had a main character uh, who the movie is named for and we didn't know anything about her. We're supposed to kind of understand this relationship. Thankfully, where the movie did succeed was that 
even though this relationship kind of didn't really matter because to be honest, I didn't care about either of them. Uh, they did a good job of making me care about Jean Grey throughout the course of this film. Really? Not Scott. No. Not at all. But Jean Grey, because they kept doing these these little flashbacks and, you know, mm-hmm. it's like it's like the modern school of filmmaking is everything that you see at the beginning of the film is going to matter later in the film. Right, right. right. So we had all of these scenes of her in the car and uh, scenes of her with Professor Xavier growing up. And, uh, you know, th- th- those were good stuff. The The stuff that wasn't good for me was the the Phoenix effect just sort of started happening without much explanation. I, the plot went off in various directions, which I kind of liked, actually, because I, I definitely did not predict the plot. I, I don't even know what the plot was. I mean, I guess the plot <laughs> was the weird aliens – wanted this power realized that gene had the power and could be corrupted and they could maybe use her or get the power out of her something like that so it wasn't really so much a plot as in as it was following people around (laughs) right like i said at the beginning wasn't so much of watching a movie more just watching people do stuff for reasons but the, the the stuff that I thought worked was the, the the evolution of Jean Grey. I actually started liking her character by the well by the middle of the movie. Uh, I had no problem with her at the beginning. Uh, again, we don't really get like an introduction or a backstory. We haven't really known her from the other movies. Well, I guess that doesn't matter so much because, as you mentioned, you get kind of those little snippets of her origin. But I didn't. I really didn't like. I really didn't like that origin. And again, I wonder why they keep trying to do this like, and I I know it's somewhat derived from the comics, but I don't feel like it. I feel like the comics handled it way better. Like they keep trying to do this thing where like Jean was so powerful and she ended up doing all this damage and only Professor Xavier could help keep her powers in check. And ultimately that safety guard is the thing that pushes her over the edge. The mistake that they always make is that they they want the movies want Jean Grey to be a tragic character, and she's not a tragic character in the sense that she doesn't carry her tragedy with her for her entire life. There's a good portion of her life where she's just happy-go-lucky, smart, you know, tele uh, uh, telekinetic. Yep. She's she's not she's not a tragic figure. She has a tragic ending. I don't know. There's something about the way that they try to present her as this kind of like damaged person that can't get control of her superpowers. And so let's talk about like the snap or the turning point, right? Uh, well, not the snap yet of Dark Phoenix, but in the origin story, they're on a road trip. She's with her parents. She's in the back seat. She wants to listen to Werewolves of London. And her parents want to listen to something else. I can't remember what the song was. Oh, I can't remember the guy's name, but I recognize the song. It was like a. It's a recognizable song, but it's like an. It's it's definitely like this is the song your dad listens to, and this is the, you know, young. Well, I guess Werewolves of London. I think is late seventies, but it's like Glenn Campbell or something, or like a not Rhinestone Cowboy, but like the the Wichita Line Man or something like that. Yeah, one of those songs, and she, you know, she is turning the dial with her telekinesis. And they keep t- turning it back. Well, I got the impression that she wasn't in control of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. But here's what I didn't know, and they showed it twice in the movie, is that 
there's a car accident. But before the car accident, she says something like, stop. And if you watch the mother real closely, the mom just stops. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't know, like, so either one of two things happened. Uh, Gene, like, just telekinetically held her, which led the wheel to drift into the other road, and then they do the crash. Or did she kill her mom, like, on sight, which led to them veering off the road and then the car accident and everything? Uh, the impression that I got was that she said stop and she her mom fell unconscious and then the car drove off the side of the road so when uh, when, when they show the scene the first time that's exactly what i thought as well but the second time they did this like weird angle from the side and to me it looked like her head did like some like awkward movement i just thought that was camera work because they were like doing like a weird okay. upside downy thing where the car spins around and you get to see all of these. So my impression again, I keep saying impression. I got to stop saying that. My impression is see, <laughs> uh, I just thought she was, I just thought because they were doing a flip around camera that they, that it kind of, it, it was a, one of those slow motion things where she slowly is sidling to the window. And yeah, I mean, Maybe that was their intention. It's not what I got. The only reason I get got that sense, and either either way is accurate. Whatever, it doesn't really matter. But the the flip and everything is it's like you said, it's super slow motion, so you know it's it's a very controlled camera shot, so that you can get all of the things that you want to get. The glass flying, which is probably CGI'd in later. If it was like a normal crash, I could see like the camera being bumped or the character bumping, but. Everything being so controlled like that, it really seemed from the angle that I saw that they were like, oh, look at this little thing. But maybe I read too much into it. Anyways, either way. It, it would make sense either way. I mean, I thought that opening scene was really – was probably one of the best parts of the movies. The car crash? I was, yeah, I was really into that. The car crash was, like, was wow, amazing. This is this is really well filmed. It's powerful. Uh, it's, it's a good scene. And then they cut to X-Men in space and I was like, oh, great. <laughs> so – amazing car crash aside i feel like uh her so that's essentially what happened in the first movie although she didn't crash a car but she lost control of her powers and her parents basically gave her to professor xavier um what i would have much rather seen again is taking a page from the x-men and just have her like playing with her friend in the front yard her friend gets hit by a car and that's the awakening of her telepathic powers she sits there and she feels her friends die we do some camera cutaways to like get kind of a visual sense of what it is to die and right there that kind of creates some tragedy and some pain and some hurt and then you can understand like this seven-year-old girl or eight-year-old girl however she old she is is broken and and that's when uh you can then uh sympathize with professor xavier's attempt to try to um block those thoughts that she can lead a relatively normal life. I mean, yeah, you could say all the things that you want and that should have been more like the comic book, but that wasn't the movie we saw. So I know Adam, I'm just saying <laughs> like draw from the source material. I feel like it would have worked way better and you could have done all the other things that they did. Just like take those little elements from like from the source material. They haven't been done yet. And that's the thing is I, I you, you say that, but I don't know. I mean, maybe. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I didn't care for the whole tragedy, but she doesn't know she's tragic. And it kind of gets to what you were talking about before, is that it's not really a tragedy until the end. Maybe you're right, though, because when, when she visits her father, who she finds out is alive, uh, 
uh, he says, come inside to my mind so you can see what I saw. And maybe the point was that she did kill her mom, like accidentally, of course. But I feel like that's the scene that when she does that, that's when we get kind of the close up. And I feel like her her head just kind of like does this kind of off kilter little kink thing. Maybe you're right. But that does make it more interesting. Yeah. Honestly. But anyhow, so that aside, uh, so, I mean, that's kind of, that's the crux of, I guess, Jean's super duper powers that the professor hides. Uh, and we find out in that visit that the father was like, you're a monster. I never want to see you. You killed. I can't look at you without looking at your mom or something like that, which I, I mean, that's, that's powerful. What a terrible dad. Well, but I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a dilemma. Well, it's a dilemma, but I mean, like, I can I can qualify him as a terrible dad for giving up his kid who murdered like, potentially. Well, was definitely at fault for her her mom dying. His wife. Yeah, I, I and I get that, but it still makes you a terrible dad. Yeah, I'm in. Maybe it makes you uh, a sympathetic human being, but you know, it's, it's, it's not her fault. She's a uncontrollable mutant. And as her dad, he should have been there to to support her. That's what dads are for. Yeah. Yeah. You're opening up a, a a serious, uh, um, bad thing here, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) I lost the word that I was looking for, but yeah, that's a, it's a pickle. (laughs) Um, so yeah. it, it was it was the scene after that where Jean Grey goes outside and the X Men show up. Well, hang on um, a second. We jumped we jumped ahead. I think what we should really talk about is and, and like put a oh, the, the, the reason the reason I'm skipping ahead is oh. because I hated the film up until the next scene. Oh, so, so let me. Let me I, I was skipping over it, oh, but go ahead. Let me discuss a scene that you hated then, because I also hated it. So after <laughs> after she saves everybody and they get back to the mansion and they're all kind of celebrating their victory, and I think the president calls and like, hey, your guys are great. The X Men go out for a party in the woods, and I th- I think it's like it's a it's a cool party in which they're drinking like juice boxes and stuff. <laughs> because like Beast and Mystique are like, oh look at them! A couple years ago, that would have been us, and there's really no alcohol problems or anything. And and then somebody has like a bonfire, and Gene loses control. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it was. I, there was a build up to it. She, you, you. Yeah. She she kept saying stuff like, oh, I feel so great. And clearly we were headed in a direction of, okay, something's going to happen. I, I wish something else would have been the uh, catalyst other than the, I don't know, the party out in the woods. You don't think there was alcohol in the, in the, in the glasses? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> it sure didn't seem like it. Because that's a lame party, man. I It really seemed like the lamest party. But... Anyways, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. We got a waste of Dazzler. Oh, that's right. I actually thought that was cool. I was like, oh, my God, Dazzler's in here. She's doing her thing. She looked like Dazzler, I think. Yeah, yeah and, she was dressed up like the 60s or the 70s, what, 80s, 80s disco Dazzler. Yeah, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, it's the 80s. Dazzler's here. And I was like, they could totally, like, hey, Daz, you want to come on a mission with us? And that would have been awesome. But there she Oh, there she goes. She's doing her whole light show thing, and it's mm-hmm. kind of a, it's 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 an attempt at doing powers. Yep, 
which we haven't seen before, which is kind of neat. It's an homage. To, uh, and uh, yeah, and she was wearing her, her old school costume. Um, she was clearly uh, voiced by a recorded, uh, pre-recorded song. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> which I guess, you know, who knows what somebody would dad like Dazzler would actually sound like. I don't know. None of that bothered me. In fact, if I recall, I think I thought she was just dancing to like a CD. Oh, I thought she was singing. Maybe. And that makes more sense because she's Dazzler, but I don't know. Maybe I thought she was lip syncing. Who knows? I thought people were getting like a whole Dazzle vibe off of it. And it was recreating that whole like, ah, she's an amazing songtress and people are really getting into her groove. Yep. But then, 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 then she was gone. Yeah. Never to be seen again. So I guess, I don't know. I wish that they would have done, uh, maybe this whole podcast is going to be a series of Jeremy wishes, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish they would have been like in the danger room. Like, let's test out your new powers. Let's let's see what's going on. Let's hook you up to Cerebro and get all these analytics. And then when they accidentally push too far, that's when she's like, oh my God, I got all this power and I don't know what to do with it. And then she flies off and goes to Illinois or, or wherever her dad was. Jeremy Jeremy's movie would have been four hours long. I I feel like the things I'm talking about could have been done in the same runtime. <laughs> Although any movie that I would have come up with that would have been four hours long would have definitely been worth seeing. <laughs> I promise you. Um. So, anyways, yeah the the next scene when they go outside and all of the X Men show up. Well, before that happens, the professor tries to invade. Uh, Jean Grey's head, and we learn that he has basically been blocking all of the bad things in her life, which that's comic accurate, isn't it? Or is that just something they made up for the movie? I, the only thing I recall from the comic is that the professor put up barriers to help protect her against the memory of her friend getting hit by the car. Okay, so maybe that's where they, what I'm thinking of. So, I mean, yes, mental barriers, but I don't Recall, unless there was some retcon that was when I wasn't reading that Gene was super powerful and the professor was trying to quell those powers. So here's the here's the other problem that I have is that we all know that Professor X is a dick in the comics. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, they turned that up to 11 here. I feel like he can't be a dick in the movies because he's 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 your he's your he's one of the two main characters that you've been following through four movies now. He you can't just make him a dick all of a sudden there was definitely like a big swing between uh uh days of future past when they were developing cybernetic robots to hunt them down to apocalypse where apocalypse had enslaved mutants to take over all of earth to this where the president's got like a direct line to the mansion <laughs> and charles xavier is just Loving all the celebrity and oh, he's on talk shows and yeah, and all that sort of stuff. Um, that didn't bother me too much, but it the whole premise of them kind of being media darlings was kind of like really after all the stuff that's happened since the fifties or, or whenever the sixties or, or whenever first class took place, like the X Men are celebrated heroes. I feel like everybody would just be super afraid of them. <laughs> It it bothered me because the first forty minutes I didn't know who I was supposed to be rooting for. I I knew that Charles Xavier was not. We weren't supposed to be rooting for him. So he's clearly like not on the good path. 
Um, but nobody else was a developed character, so I just didn't care about anybody else. So that's why I was just like out of it. Well, and you've got some scenes between Beast and Mystique where they're like, we got to get out. And between all three of those characters, which other than Gene, I feel like got probably the most, uh, well, the, the best uh, character treatment. The only one that you really can care for is Beast because we've seen Mystique do good things and we've seen her do bad things. So now when you see her kind of like back on the good team, you're like, I don't know. I don't know what your motives are. And I just don't care about Beast and Mystique in these movies. I mean, I never have. And maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm missing the point. But uh, Yeah, Beast didn't really do all that much in the first movie. I think he had a decent arc in like Days of Future Past. I couldn't tell you what he did in Apocalypse, to be honest. He's just the he's the kid. He's the kid who's smart. I didn't care for his ability to dynamically turn into Beast and back. <laughs> yeah, that's new. Well, no, I guess he didn't he develop that in the last one. I don't know. He had like a formula that would allow him to go back and forth, which is what was keeping the professor's telepathy at bay, but allowed him to walk in Days of Future Past somehow. Oh, okay. Yeah, we talked about that. That didn't make any sense, but but we're not talking about <laughs> that movie. Um. The 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 only thing I can say about the fight that occurs. So after I guess Jean looks at her dad's mind, that's when she goes Dark Phoenix. Now now like all bets are off. She was maybe teetering. Uh, now she's Dark Phoenix and she's attacking the X Men. Um, and the only scene that I kind of liked out of it was when Quicksilver starts going into Quicksilver mode, and you're like, oh yeah, here we go. We're gonna get another one. She just, like, stops him and he falls to the ground. I thought that was pretty clever. He falls to the ground and does not appear in the, for the rest of the movie. He's at the end. He's at the end. And then I was, and at the end, I was like, oh, Quicksilver wasn't in this movie. I just realized he wasn't. The last time I saw him was when he got knocked down by Jean Grey. He was. He's a big star now. He, he, yeah, he's probably of, doing all sorts of other stuff. But I feel like that's the biggest problem with this movie is that some of the names in it are doing other things and just don't want to be here. <laughs> and I think that that's exemplified by um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Like there are times when I'm watching her in her makeup where I'm like, I feel like this is a stunt double. <laughs> well, the, for for all the screen time she had, and we'll get to that in a sec. Um, why wasn't she in the makeup the whole time? She probably just like I'm Jennifer Lawrence, and I don't want to wear this makeup. In fact, I saw a, a video uh, where they kind of went through all of the Mystique makeups from Rebecca Romaine Stamos all the way to this movie. And the makeup just keeps changing and gets more simplified. And, and one of the explanations is that Jennifer Lawrence is like, I'm not sitting in that chair for 13 hours for this movie. <laughs> so they had to, like, scale it way back. She's a different shade of blue. And I swear, like, I don't... To me, when I watch some of those scenes, I'm like, that doesn't look like Jennifer Lawrence under that makeup. It looks like somebody else. And it doesn't matter, though. Because when, when she doesn't look like Mystique... Her makeup is really bad, and she looks like a, a not human. It's and maybe they did that on purpose, but her face was like messed up in this movie. You mean her and her like human face? Her her human face, and I think it was just the way that they were doing her makeup, and maybe they were doing it on purpose. But it and it drew me out, and her performance was terrible. 
which also drew me out. <laughs> I And it's Jennifer Lawrence, right? You know she can act. She can act circles around just about everybody. But I really feel like she's like, like my contract says I got to do one more of these. Let's <laughs> well, get this I, thing what done. I, I read I out. that. I read that she didn't have to do this movie. She did it because she was a friend of Simon Kinberg. And he was like, would you be in this movie, please? <laughs> and oh. she was like, well, I had to do it because I'm a friend of Simon's. Okay. I wouldn't say that her performance was terrible, but it certainly wasn't memorable. And like I said, I, I just don't think most of those like blue mystique shots were her. I think it was somebody else, which I guess is fine. Like she can do whatever she wants to. <laughs> But the, in that case, just not have her have her not be Jennifer or or have her like be in the blue the whole time. Just say it's Jennifer Lawrence and no one no one need to be the wiser. Yes. Starring the casting, the makeup casting of Jennifer Lawrence. We casted the molds off of her face and put it on this other actress. <laughs> Therefore, it's Jennifer Lawrence. So anyway, Mystique gets killed. Yeah, it gets killed. Uh. And then, Which was a good scene. It was, yeah, it was fine. But again, the whole time she's like on the like the metal spikes and everything. I'm like, I don't think that's Jennifer Lawrence. Back up. <laughs> other than the other than the fact that some of the dialogue by Jean Grey in that scene was delivered terribly by Jean Grey, Sophie Turner, whatever. Um, uh, that that scene is the scene that started getting me into the movie. I was like, okay, things are happening. I'm starting to enjoy this movie. It's not – I'm not rolling my eyes anymore. I'm I'm getting sucked in. Yeah, and I don't think I ever rolled my eyes at the movie. Um, and I don't know what I'm, I mean by that. I guess I just – it wasn't a groaner. I don't think there was any groaning scenes. It just kind of happened throughout. Um, yeah. Uh, the problem that I have with uh, Sophie Turner, is that her name? Yeah. Uh, I can't get Sansa Stark out of my head. So I yeah. see her and I and I hear her doing like an American accent, but I just hear tinges of Sansa Stark. I'm like, no, nah, you're you're English. <laughs> Pretty sure you're English. And that was the other thing about this film is it was shot like a TV show. It was all close ups, mm-hmm. which was very odd for a movie. It It just looked like a television show. I wonder if they did that. Uh, I mean, so that they didn't have to have the whole cast together very often because everybody, Maybe. I feel like everybody was just like on other projects. That could be. Do a bunch of close up shots, you know, and then it's like when you, when you have the together. whole cast, you do the wide shots and then you just do close up shots of everybody. Yep. One day for the long shots and then the rest of the week for all your close ups. Boom. We're done. <laughs> Let's move it on. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then we get Magneto. He's uh, on an island apparently with, uh, with some renegade mutants. Apparently they've been given asylum for reasons. Yeah. Michael Fassbender is leading the Morlocks for some reason. And, and they all suck, <laughs> but I'm always happy to see Michael Fassbender. And oh. like, he's so good. He's such a good actor. And he puts, unlike Jennifer Lawrence, he puts his all into his Magneto. Uh, he, nothing exemplifies that more than when he's doing his Magneto powers against the helicopter. And I thought he was going to crap his pants. <laughs> the the amount of like facial contortions he's and efforts that are going on. He's just a, he's just a high quality actor. So I think that's might have been the scene where I rolled my eyes and I lost it a little bit. With the the helicopter scene? Yes. What the only part about that scene that made me laugh was when Magneto's like, Everybody, get on the helicopter. 
I can't hold it much longer. If I'm there, I'm like, I'm not getting on that helicopter. <laughs> I just, yeah. Uh, that, that, so the whole, I guess the point of that was that Jean came uh, to Magneto because she wanted some guidance or some help controlling her powers, maybe? She she wanted, because he had been a bad guy and now he had stopped killing people, she wanted to know how he stopped killing people. Oh, okay. He never really answered a question because he was like, whose blood is on your shirt? Oh, yeah, he, he was really uh, fixated on that. And then I think Beast shows up and is like, hey, tell him whose blood that is. Well, and then by then Jean Grey has left. So after after the army shows up, uh, with the two helicopters, then Jean Grey destroys one of the helicopters, and then they fight over the one of the helicopters, and Magneto shoots it away with magnet powers. Well, I thought there was this. Well, I thought there was a scene where they were like, like, wasn't Jean pushing the helicopter towards him, and he was trying to push the helicopter away? Or am I mixing yeah, up some scenes? Uh, but I couldn't really tell what was happening. So it was. It was just at first you think that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I was very confused by that. Oh, no, no, no. She's not, she's not trying to push the helicopter towards Magneto. I think she's just trying to, like, push them away. And Magneto wants to keep his sovereignty and everything. So he's trying to keep that helicopter level so it doesn't hurt more people, maybe. But then ultimately the whole helicopter gets flung off into the trees. I guess. I mean, it's yeah. hard to tell yeah. what's actually going on. Yeah. Because Jean Grey just destroyed a helicopter. So I'm thinking she's just going to destroy another helicopter. Right. But Magneto is trying to, I don't know, it was silly. It was hard to understand what was going on. Yeah. And is it, have we met like the alien people at this point? Oh yeah, the alien people. So (laughs) here's another, aliens are involved, which makes sense because they went into space and then some space red stuff got all over Jean and now she's all crazy and stuff. I just, why did they have to make up a new alien race? You got to have a bad guy. and That's fine. Have a bad guy. But I mean, these bad guys, they, their only motivation, I think, was to get the power, which I guess is fine. But why why couldn't they have gone again to the source material and just grabbed any alien name from the X-Men comics and you get fan service immediately, even if it's not like the same characters? It was probably a uh, an alien race that has been used in the comics, I'm guessing. Um that I just may or may not recognize. <laughs> My guess is that you couldn't use any uh, major players as far as aliens because they weren't allowed to. You, they could have used Shi'ar. No, you can't use Shi'ar. That's Marvel. Well, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you'd have to look at like how what the contract originally stipulated. I mean, certainly you wouldn't be able to use Kree or Skrulls because those are taken by Fantastic Four and the Avengers. But I feel like the Shi'ar would have been like part of the X-Men verse. They've already mentioned Shi'ar technology in Marvel properties. Oh, have they? Yeah, I think it was like a, a very like a, it was a it was a mention in Captain Marvel or something like that, or maybe I'm thinking of a different one. But at some point, they say, "Oh, is that Shi'ar technology?" Oh. Maybe it was Agents of Shield. I don't know. Okay, well that makes more sense then, because I'm like, why would you make up an alien, and why would you make that alien look like the White Queen? Well, you just because you got Jessica Chastain and she's kind of strange looking and, you know. So I felt like uh, I'm jumping around here a little bit. Uh, they go to Manhattan and uh, the her name is Vuck, according to IMDb. <laughs> um, yep. 
I don't remember what alien race that they made up for this, but she she lures or has Jean go into a mansion and then starts kind of uh, corrupting her, or like like, hey, this is what you want to do, and it was kind of sort of reminiscent of the Hellfire Club, just because they were in a mansion. She kind of looked like the White Queen. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I didn't see it while I was watching the film, but that doesn't mean it wasn't intended. Um, but other than, I mean, I don't know. They, I was there a climactic battle that I'm not remembering. Uh, in the movie? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, on the train. It was, it was the whole train thing. I forgot about that. So apparently, the rumor is, or the the the, they were they apparently made a space battle that was reminiscent of Captain Marvel, and they had to scrap it all and reshoot it on a train. Because because of Captain Marvel. That's what I somebody told me that the internet said was that uh, not that they copied one another, but they were more or less in production at the same time, <clears throat> and they wanted to, like the X Men Dark Phoenix. They wanted to have kind of the climactic battle with the Vuk or the, whatever that alien race was in space to do spacey things, uh, and that's where Jean would sacrifice herself. But since mm. it was so similar to Captain Marvel, they reshot it and did all the train stuff. That's dumb. I mean, I, I, I don't know the accuracy of that because I didn't validate or verify any of that information. It's what I heard secondhand from the Internet. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, they have a climactic battle on a train, which was... Uh, which was all right. Was fine, I mean, I you know, it was it was okay. So they're they're on the train being held by all these armed guards. And the aliens start attacking all the armed guards. And the aliens are disguised as humans. And they start shooting the aliens, and they turn back into aliens. And somebody shouts through the uh, – I just lost the word – the walkie-talkie uh, that they're not mutants. And I'm like, how do you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like just because they turned into aliens? Maybe that's their power. <laughs> yeah, they made a big deal of that because there's this whole – okay, so yeah, that was another thing that was weird to me was that um, – they just kind of introduced this Marvel, uh, I mean, mutant. I feel like they called them, their initials were MCU, but that can't be right. Their their <laughs> initials were like, the, they were the mutant, like, police. Uh, but how would you go from a world where the mutants are loved and Professor Xavier has a phone to the president to, like, immediately the next day they're like, oh, remove the phone from the president's office and conscript a whole bunch of mutant police. That backup plan was always there. <laughs> well, it must have been because all of a sudden trucks are rolling out with these like uh, um, uniformed mutant hunters. But yeah, you're right. They made a big deal of being like, well, those aren't mutants. The X-Men kept saying, you got to let us go. We're the only ones that can save you. And rightly, the guys thought that the, the aliens were trying to rescue the X-Men. Right. So they were like, no, you stay there. And then finally... Too soon, I thought the guy releases the X Men, but like, oh, it, it, at least at least they didn't like immediate. Like, I don't know. It was it was like there was no point that the armed guards should have thought that the mutants or the aliens on the train were not rescuing the X Men. Like, there was there was absolutely nothing to make them think that they weren't trying to be rescue the X Men. Right, and there was unless their mutant hunting gear had mutant O scanners, there was nothing to be like. Oh, well, those are the mutants, and those aren't the mutants. Um, and even if they, even if they are mutants, like they're invading the train that has a bunch of captured mutants on it, 
why would you ever let your captured mutants go? Yeah, seems fishy. I think that was the other thing that was pretty similar to Captain Marvel. Obviously, you have these alien race that could shapeshift into humans. Right. I was wondering if they were going to call them scrolls. Yeah. And and then maybe like between the space stuff and that, they're like, oh, this is really close to Captain Marvel. We need to fix some things. <laughs> um, yeah. So so all of that happens. Uh, eventually, they let the X-Men go and the X-Men use some teamwork to defeat the evil aliens. And then. Well, no, no. Uh, I don't know. Well, yes, you're right. You're I right, mean, right. ultimately, I, I, that's I'm, what happens. I'm, I'm getting ahead because I was remembering the scene where Jean Grey just starts dusting everybody. But before that, you're right. The X-Men do do some teamwork and we get Nightcrawler becomes a murderous freak. Yeah. And just decides to like kill people for some reason. Mm-hmm. Well, he's killing the aliens, isn't he? He's so. <laughs> well, they're not people. They're aliens. Hashtag not my Kurt Wagner. <laughs> I agree. I could, I could see Magneto doing awesome stuff like that because Magneto is a badass. But like... Not Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler would figure out a way to teleport them into like a knot where they're tied up, <laughs> <laughs> um, with rope. I mean, not like tied together, like no sort of mutilation like that. And he's having some serious like close-up face of him like being super angry, and that's just like wow, major turn for Nightcrawler. Yeah, Gene. You said Gene was turning people into dust. I don't remember that. After they get out of the train. Um, Jean Grey, Jean Grey wakes up and pulls the train apart and lands the train inside of that like electric zone. Then all of the aliens start charging at her and then it becomes slow motion and she, she turns one alien into dust and another alien into dust, another alien into dust. And then one stabs her through the heart and she makes the, the sword disappear and she dusts that guy and she's just like, I don't know. At that point I was just like, ugh. You would think that they would stay away from the whole dust thing, given that by the time that they were writing that or filming that, for sure, um, End or uh, Infinity War would have been out. That's true. I didn't. I didn't think of that while I was watching it, but you're right. That is, it was very similar to that. Hmm, interesting. I hadn't. I had actually forgotten about all of that. <laughs> and that's where she sacrifices herself, which isn't very clear that that's what she's doing. Uh, when she fights Jessica Chastain. Oh. Because she's like, you want the power? I'll give it to you. You can't handle the power. And then she, I guess they both die. Yeah, doesn't she like fly her off into space and then you see kind of what looks maybe like a Phoenix effect? Yeah, th- I thought the Phoenix effect was decent. It was one of the better <laughs> things that I liked. I mean, it was it was a shape of a Phoenix it, with fire. Yeah. Yeah. They did it twice. The second time was better. Yeah, I know. We forgot to say that the kids at school were all calling her Phoenix because, you know, she rose from the dead. Isn't that cool? Isn't that so cool? <laughs> yeah, that's that was Cyclops' line. Yeah. He was very excited about that. Yeah, so she, she sacrifices herself, and then, yeah, we see a Phoenix kind of fly over the Earth, I guess, and that's the end of the movie, really. Yep. Uh, Magneto and, uh, Oh, he shows up. Yeah. Magneto and Charles play chess in the middle of France where, you know, well, no, Magneto shows up like earlier during that whole fight. And that's where I think beast is like, you killed mystique. And Magneto's like, what? And he gets all angry. Oh yeah. So beast tells Magneto that Jean killed mystique and Magneto wants to kill 
uh, Jean now, and then they all go to the mansion that we had mentioned earlier, and then the they all fight in front of the mansion, and that fight was kind of dumb, although it had some good points. The, the I was mixed through, like, every fight scene, there were things that I liked and things that I didn't like. Hmm. And, you know, it was just like, the thing about these X-Men movies is none of the fights have ever really been good. Whereas, like, in a movie like Civil War or, or in Marvel movies, the fights are always at least somewhat memorable. Yes. Um, yes, I would agree with that. Generally well-filmed, generally well-choreographed, whereas, yeah, the X-Men movies, I think, rely on kind of shaky cam and like, ah, just kind of make it look like you're fighting. Shaky cam yeah. will take care of the rest. And and lots of, like, logic that isn't logical. Yeah. Like, why would that person be doing that? And then a lot of, why do I care about hair guy? <laughs> oh, Storm. We didn't talk about Storm at all. Storm had, like, inconsistent powers in this. She she is able to conjure up a storm in space, which makes no sense. When uh, Mystique was like, close the hatches or close those air vents. Yeah. And, and she was like, I can't do that. I don't have that power. <laughs> but right. She didn't actually say that, but she closed the air vents. But there was the, when, when she fights hair guy outside of the, uh, the mansion hair guy. Oh yeah. 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 Hair guy. Yep. That was a really cool scene. Cause then her powers, there was like storm and wind and like it was snowing and it was all stuff that was kind of implied. That was just a part of her powers. Right. I did want to bring her up because I honestly thought she was the best part of the movie. Earlier, she makes ice cubes in one of the X-Men's punch. Yeah, which is... Not a power of hers. But I would kick in the face. (laughs) Um, You really thought she was one of the best characters? I thought the actress who played her, uh, Alexandra Ship, looks like Storm and sounds like close enough to his... Maybe not as regal as a Storm, but I, I was fine with that. Uh, she was doing the like the Black Panther kind of African mm-hmm, accent, mm-hmm, um, which I'm fine with. Uh, and I would like to see a good movie about just her. You're not going to. Oh, I absolutely know that. <laughs> but I, I would like, like, I thought she was, I thought she was really good. I also thought she looked like a good storm, but I feel like she was not given a script worthy of a storm. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So I guess we can agree uh, for different reasons on that. Uh, I really like, there was a point when I think Cyclops was going to go by himself, but then storms like, no, I'm going to come with you. And then they, they argued and then she ended up going with them, which I think maybe they were trying to like, yeah, look, she's powerful and kind of uh, just displaying some leadership skills. Maybe, I don't know, but I wish they would have used her more effectively. She was in the last movie, too, and she was not effectively used there. Storm's not been effective. There's been a lot of characters in the X-Men Fox movies that have not been effectively used. Yeah. The professor retires, hands over the keys to, I think, Beast, and then he goes to France and retires, and he and Magneto play chess, and that's the end of the which Which is a... It's a callback to the first First Class movie, or is that a callback to, like, the first... X-Men movie? I don't know. At the end of the first X-Men movie, they have Magneto locked up in a plastic cell. They're playing chess, and Magneto's like, you can't keep me in here forever, and Professor Xavier's like, you keep coming, and we'll keep stopping you, or something like that. 
The only problem I had with that scene was that you're at this French pub, presumably, outside, world-famous now Professor Xavier, because he's been on all the talk shows and celebrities, is sitting there, and uh, world-famous terrorist Magneto shows up. If I'm, like, at that place, I'm, like, staring at these two. I'm, like, worried. You're getting your, you're getting your phone out, and you're putting it on YouTube immediately. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably videotaping it or running away. Yeah. Uh, but maybe the, Professor X has the power to make them invisible, right? So maybe they just didn't appear. There, yes. there was the one scene where Jean Grey was an old man, which I that was kind of a cool scene. Uh, yeah, it was okay. Yeah. Although I don't know that that's... She's, guess, as Phoenix, she can do whatever she wants. So I, That's I, fair. I was okay with that, but I was like, well, that's, that's a weird thing. We've never seen her do that, but okay, yeah. it's fine. Okay. Uh, so that kind of, I was thinking about this, uh, so this right that closes the that's the bookend of the X Men franchise, which is sad because, <laughs> in my opinion, I think maybe we differ on this. Like, I I really liked the first X Men movie. Uh, obviously, it was it it was liked and received well enough because it got all these sequels and it had a whole franchise. But I really feel like this was the series going out with a tiny little whimper. <laughs> I liked the first movie when it came out. Um, it was, I see it as an important film, especially the way that like superheroes now dominate major blockbuster filmmaking. Right. Um, so it's important. I feel like going back and watching it, it's not as good as it was. It's kind of silly. One day, Adam, we're going to do it. Well, if we, if we get the uh, Patreon votes, the, the other thing about this movie is that there were very few laughs. Usually they try to do a mixture of lighthearted adventure and a couple of jokes here and there to make it kind of silly and fun. And this movie had maybe two jokes, neither of which were funny. And it was not, there was no, there was no fun in this movie. It was all dark. It was all brooding. Uh, yeah. Like I said, it's just watching people do things for reasons. That's, that's my summation. <laughs> so that really brings me to the next um like what like what's next um and when i started thinking about like how we got to where we got to with the avengers it didn't start off with an avengers movie it started off with all of these character movies some were better than others but at least by the time you got to the avengers movies you more or less knew the characters that you wanted to know and if you ever wanted to learn more about that character you just go watch that movie again the X-Men doesn't really seem to have a lineup that that works with that. No, it really doesn't. Right? Because, I mean, like Iron Man, Hulk, Captain America, Thor, all of those uh, uh, heroes had have, had comic books since the 60s, and then the Avengers, obviously, since the 60s. And the first solo X-Men comic is Wolverine, which is in the 80s. And then other than some, like, you know, four-parters or other kind of deep-cut miniseries, not many of the other X-Men outside of Deadpool have had their own outings. So it's, 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 it'll be interesting to see like what they do. Cause I think again, going back to the, the original, one of the problems with this is that you never had, we've never, we've had all these movies. We've never had a time to dive into storm's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like if we dive into storm's character, at least in a movie, a solo movie or a team movie, we can do sequels where, We've already understand who she is. She can have her motivations and she can do the things that she she does. And you can be like, yep, that's Storm. That's what she does. Go get him, Storm. Without being like, I don't know. Why is that? Why is she doing that? 
<laughs> Why is this happening? Why do I care about this person? In all seven of these movies, Storm has always been a character who does stuff. There has never been any development of her emotional experience. She, All we know is that she shoots lightning and she runs around with the X-Men. I think the movie in which she got the most lines was probably the third X-Men movie, which is sad. <laughs> the one that nobody remembers. Yeah, yeah. Which, interestingly enough, was also written by Simon Kinberg. Ooh, interesting. Who, who uh, I guess I read somewhere that he wanted to correct the errors that were made with X-Men Last Stand and redo the Dark Phoenix right. So he wrote and directed this one. Oh, really? So this was like, I'm going to redeem myself. Look, here yeah. it is, my opus. That's what I read. But I okay. don't know. The, the, so, so Simon Kinberg, uh, he has written several movies, um, one of which is, I'm just going to read through them all. Um, and then you can kind of, you can kind of see why we got what we got. Triple uh, X state of the union, which I believe is the sequel to triple X. Never saw it. Uh, Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Nope. Which was the Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie movie. X-Men last stand. Mm-hmm. Jumper. Nope. Sherlock Holmes, the Robert Downey Jr. One. I thought that did pretty well. I didn't see it. The this means war. I don't know what that is. No. Nope. Um, X Men: Days of Future Past. He did the screenplay and the story. I don't know where the difference. I guess maybe multiple people did the screenplay for that. But didn't I mean Brian Singer came in to direct it, so he probably had some creative direction for it. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic Four. Ah. Uh-huh. The sure. the the latest one. No, oh, I didn't see that one. The the one that's kind of like a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, X Men: Apocalypse. Okay. And then uh, Dark Phoenix. Okay. So the only movies of his that I've seen are the X-Men movies. <laughs> I haven't seen any of the other ones, which I guess tells you something. Like, I'd probably seen the trailers for half of those other movies and been like, nah. None of them are particularly good. I mean, I would say the best one on this list is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Okay. And maybe X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah. So, yeah, uh what what does what can marvel or disney do with the x-men to kind of solve this whole character development uh problem uh make better movies <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i think they're gonna be fine i mean i don't think they're gonna my guess is that they're not gonna do solo movies for each of the X-Men. Uh, yeah. Why, why would you, I would just jump right in with an X-Men movie, but it kind of creates a problem of like, now you've got this cast of however many mutants. Um, how do you give them? Well, I mean, I guess it, it all comes down to writing and, and so far they've done really good jobs at handling like Endgame has a hundred characters in it. And like, yeah, you could probably call out a scene from each one of those characters. I think I think they'll be fine. I, I mean, they're really good at giving individual characters things to do, even even characters that are established. And they can always they can always introduce characters in other movies, and we can get to know them that way. Oh, or maybe they maybe they'll do like a uh, they'll figure out who their X Men characters are, and they'll do like a Wolverine solo movie, and then they'll do like a Cyclops and Jean Grey movie. Uh, Adam, I had an idea. Okay, you want to hear my idea? Sure. Here's my idea. <laughs> uh the first, like we don't do any of that stuff that you just said even though i would love it even if in like the next 
I don't know, Spider-Man or, or whatever movie, they drop in some mutant hints and stuff. That would be awesome. But I'd rather they not do that. They save all of that stuff for the first X-Men movie. And the first X-Men movie is the original five X-Men. They don't fight Magneto because we're going to steer clear of Magneto for a while because we've already had like 20 movies with Magneto. Instead, they're going to go to Genosha. Like this whole, and then you can kind of tie it in with the rest of the Marvel Universe. Like Genosha's producing vibranium like... Uh, like pennies on the dollar that uh, Wakanda is. So you can kind of get like that Wakanda angle in there. And somehow uh, we learn that they're using mutant slaves, which kind of amps up that part. And the X-Men either get captured or they go there or whatever. And that's kind of how the world gets introduced to mutants is through that angle. But throughout the movie, you keep seeing like flashes of an asteroid in space. And I feel like they could pull this off. And then the asteroid in space, you see like kind of boots walking around, kind of like reviewing uh, things that have happened on Earth that have been bad to like superpowered people, like scenes from maybe Civil War and Endgame and, and such, and the things that are happening in Genosha. And that's your introduction to Magneto and Asteroid M. But you never see his face. You never see his costume. So they can kind of just save that for like a movie down the line. That's how you start. Yeah, <laughs> come on, Adam. It's good. You like it. I it's okay. <laughs> no, no Wolverine either. Why? What do you have against Wolverine? Nothing. That's a money maker. No, they save him. All find right. him. Find what? him. Find him in in Genosha, and then he well, gets a solo movie. Wolverine's probably going to get a solo movie. Yeah. Well, I just feel like they're going to do more Professor Xavier and Magneto. I doubt it. Maybe you could be right. I don't know because if you look at the 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 Spider Man movie that came out. Did they more or less repeat what came before it, or did they do something different? What? Spider-Man? Yeah. So they, the Marvel had one Spider-Man movie, and then another one's coming out next week or something like that. I yeah, don't know yeah, no, they, I, 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 they realize that nobody needs to see Uncle Ben, because we've already seen it. We already know that story, even though Marvel and Disney didn't tell that story. We all know right. it. So they just, like, they just started after that. The problem is, is that... Um, the X-Men Fox universe is so like fractured and disjointed. I don't think you could start a movie and have anybody have any realistic assumptions other than Magneto's bad and Professor Xavier's good. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say you steer clear of, of all of that and just kind of introduce some other angles. And then what you have happen is, is to create like those character driven and more teams so that you can get yourself to like an events style movie, like a fall of the mutants is you have the original X-Men splinter off to X factor. You bring in the new, new X-Men, all sorts of stuff. Man. So this, this is secondhand information. I heard this from somebody who read an article. So that means it probably is completely untrue. Okay, good. So what I heard was that Marvel is going to steer clear of the event style things for a while and not have everything build up to something. They're going to focus on individual things. It's probably not a bad idea because in order to keep doing the events thing, you have to have the next event be bigger than the last event. Right. And that's going to be something that's going to blow up in their face. Yeah. Well, did you, do you watch uh, Honest Trailers? No. So you know what Honest Trailers is? Isn't it like a YouTube show? Yeah, it's basically a trailer for a movie that has been recently released on Blu-ray or DVD so they can use all the clips. And it's it's a, it's kind of a, a joke. The the idea is that it's an honest trailer, so it's telling you what the movie is really about. Okay, I got and, you. And uh, it's they're usually very funny. I, I should watch um, that. 
They did. They did one of the entire MCU minus Endgame because it's not out yet. Um, and they compared the MCU to like a rock star, where in the first phase you're kind of figuring things out, you're writing songs, you're trying to connect to an audience. In the second stage, you got your big hits. Uh, you know, you're you're kind of you kind of gearing up a big audience, and you're 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 dabbling a little. You're being a little more creative. In the third stage, you're basically like doing whatever you want and people are buying it. And then in the fourth stage, you find drugs and everything goes downhill. Yeah. So the prediction was that that's the next stage of the MCU is that they're all going to be terrible. Which I thought that was funny. There's, there's big shoes to fill. I think they should just quit while they're ahead. It wouldn't be a bad <laughs> idea to be like, look, we got these 22 movies. All these characters, these actors, are they've aged a little bit. Let's just put these all on the shelf and like, yeah, that was it. That was a thing we did. Save yeah. the universe. Yeah. But they're not because Spider-Man just came out. <clears throat> and they're yep. not, not going to end on a Spider-Man movie. It seems like they're building up. I, have you seen the new the Spider-Man trailer? I saw the first Spider-Man trailer where Peter Parker was all upset that Iron Man was dead. Right. So... I just saw that today for the first time because I've been avoiding trailers, but it's hard to avoid trailers when you're watching a movie mm-hmm. in the movie theater. Um, so yeah, I just saw that same one and I felt like they were trying to make Peter Parker, the next Tony Stark. Oh. Like they're, I could be wrong, but it seems like they're trying to set him up as sort of like, you know, Tony Stark was sort of the, the main character of the 22 films the arcs, not all of them, obviously, because he wasn't in all of them. But interesting, it's, it's kind of the Tony Stark story from Iron Man through Endgame. One theory was that he's got his like six armed robot suit. Is that the voice of the computer could be Tony Stark, and then you don't have to pay him as much, and you can keep Tony Stark in the movies forever. Oh, that'd be cute. Yeah, that'd be cute, but I don't know. I like it. I'll see it. I, you know, I'll go see all those Marvel movies. I don't even care. I'll probably see it, but I don't know if I'm going to go into the theaters anymore. If I can get a free theater like I did today where it's nobody's in it, I'll go see movies all the time. You know, I have had very uh, good and polite Marvel movie uh, experiences. I have two, but only when I go see it immediately. Yes. If I wait like a week. Oh, then it's, it's usually over. Yeah, it's just filled with people that don't care anymore. They're like blabbing. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, so so there you go. Uh the end of uh the end of an era. Bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boo. Overall, I I I liked the movie more than I thought I was going to. I didn't think it was a bad movie. Um there were I, I had an it was an emotional spectrum of not liking the movie, then liking the movie, then not liking the movie. And liking the movie and then not liking the movie. That was my full emotional spectrum while watching this movie. That sounds uh, <laughs> sounds tiring. It was. Man, I was exhausted by the end of it. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I didn't like it. Uh, I was, uh, was very meh about it. So let's rank rankings the way that we do the uh, the Star Wars movies. Oh gosh, okay. But just just the seven X Men movies, yeah, yeah, yeah. not the uh, none of the Wolverines or Deadpool's. Oh, I can't put Logan in there somewhere. Nope. <laughs> All right. Um. Well, I uh, that's boy, that's 
Mm-hmm. From a from from the standpoint of like rewatchability, like the things that I would like, hey, this is on TV. Well, if, if any of them were on TV, I'd probably finish watching them. Uh, I'm going to turn on the Blu-ray player and I'm going to physically put this disc into the player. I think if that was kind of the uh, the the ratings, I think I would go Days of Future Past. Then I would go X Men. It's your criteria. You can X- you can. I'm just have working it any I'm way working, you want. I know how I okay. can have it. I'm working it out myself. Okay. Uh, Days of Future Past, X Men, X Men Two, probably First Class. Then it's what else is there? I guess there's uh, Apocalypse. X-Men 3 and this movie. So I guess that's really the question is which of those three, how do you put those three in order? I guess this one only because it's fresh in my mind, then Apocalypse and then uh, three. So what I got is Days of Future Past, X-Men, X-Men 2, First Class, Dark Phoenix, Apocalypse and X-Men 3. I'm very close to that. I'm having trouble remembering what all of them are. (laughs) Uh, first class. That was the, uh, that was the 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 uh, submarine or Cuban Missile Crisis, Hellfire Club, um, uh, oh, Kevin X-Men Bacon. Three. That's the one that I'm forgetting. Oh yeah, no, I hated that one. Uh, <laughs> I guess I didn't hate it. I just I I thought it was kind of X Men Three was terrible. All right, so Days of Future Past is my number one. Mm-hmm. X Men X Men Two are my number two and my number three. I would say Dark Phoenix. Uh, is my number four. Although that's probably going to change in six months when I forget it. Okay. Uh, X-Men three would be my next one. Followed by first class, which I didn't like and apocalypse, which I just can't remember. I feel like if we went back to the tape of first class, I I thought you liked it. Yeah. And I probably did. And I probably would if if I watched all the movies back to back, this list would probably change a okay, lot. Okay. But but right now there are things that I don't like about First Class, and those are the things that I remember. Okay. Um. So so for whatever reason, I would not go back to watch that movie. I haven't watched it again. So, but that that being said, I haven't watched. Well, I've probably seen X Men Three more than I've seen these other four movies. Uh-huh. I've gone back and watched Days of Future Past a couple times. Oh yeah, same here. And, and the Rogue Cut, Rogue Cut's great. I, I've still never seen the Rogue Cut. That's great. It's longer. It's got Rogue in it. She actually has things to do. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, we're we're fairly close on our list. Yeah. yeah. All right. I got. I, I mean, unless you want to talk about Star Wars, and I don't really want to talk about Star Wars, we could probably just end this thing. This has been your waste of time with Adam and Jeremy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Too harsh. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you basically just said that whoever listened to this podcast for the last hour and ten minutes wasted their time, Adam. Was... Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that that's how you're choosing to end this one. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, maybe I'm. Maybe Professor X isn't the only dick around here. I guess not. <laughs> uh, until next time. My name's Adam, and my name is Jeremy, and the danger room is closed. Yeah.